Hear now the gospel according to John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise up from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Dear ones, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. That was great. That really wasn't just for kids. <laughs> Thank you. Let us pray. Lord, we do not always find it easy to recognize your coming to us. Come, reveal yourself to us. Meet us in the breaking of the bread. Set our heavy hearts on fire with love for you. And send us on our way rejoicing. For your name's sake, amen. Our first reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. 
But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Our next reading is from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Very recently, three historic black churches in Louisiana were burned in acts of domestic terrorism. 
This is not remotely the first time someone has acted out in hate in exactly the same way against black churches in the United States. Still in 2019, there are black churches in the U.S. trying to balance the joy of Easter with mourning over the loss of their worship space. Just this week, during Holy Week of all times, Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris suffered a devastating fire as well. This fire was unlikely to have been arson like the churches here in the U.S. were, but it was probably due to restoration efforts, which are somewhat ironically why much of the artwork was already out of the building and safe from the flames. During Holy Week, one of the most iconic and beautiful worship spaces in the world is devastated. In South Africa, during Holy Week services on Thursday night, a night that we too gathered for Monday Thursday worship, a church wall collapsed, killing 13 people. Another church trying to navigate Easter joy in the midst of tragedy. Another church that has lost their worship space, as well as beloved church members. And this morning, in Sri Lanka, Several churches were bombed during their Easter morning services, killing 207 people. As of my reading the news at 8.30 this morning, the death tolls have been rising all morning. Two of these tragedies were just things that happened. A wall weakened by a storm, a fire sparked by chemicals used to restore an elderly building. Two of these are the result of targeted hate, People drawing lines in the sand and living into division rather than unity. Ironic that on the day we celebrate the thing that brings us together as brothers and sisters and gives us the opportunity to live new and light-filled lives, there are those targeting that message with hate. Hate is nothing new. Divisiveness is, isn't something that was recently invented or just introduced into the world. It's not even something that has increased in modern times. We just have more access to the news about it these days. We find out about it more quickly. As recently as 10 years ago, we didn't have things like news alerts popping up on our phones or our watches about something that happened in Sri Lanka. People have been arguing and fighting about how to live life since the dawn of time. When people disagree, we have some weird human urge to make them do things our way. If we feel unheard, we try to find ways to make sure our message gets out there, even if it's a terrible, hateful, or untrue message. And even the Christian church has been disagreeing within itself since the very beginning about how we should be living out and spreading the message of Jesus' resurrection. In this morning's passage from Acts, Peter is giving a sermon, not long after he's eaten a meal with a group of non-Jews. This is highly unusual. The dinner part, not the sermon. I think Peter liked to preach almost as much as I do. This is unusual because the non-Jews would not have been eating a kosher meal. Eating with them would have been a violation of kosher law on Peter's part making him unclean, just like the people he had eaten with. And there was a big debate in the early Christian church about if Jews who followed Jesus 
had to keep kosher or not. And here is Peter, that Peter, who followed Jesus all around during his ministry here on earth, the one who denied him and then felt really bad when he realized what he had done. Here is that Peter, eating with non-Jews. Basically, the early Christians were arguing over the rule book of piety, just like we tend to do today. Peter is saying, hang on a minute, folks. God's love is shown to all people in Jesus Christ, Jews, Gentiles, and everyone in between. Just a few days ago, in our time, it's been a while for Peter from that perspective, Jesus gave us the command to love one another just as he loves us. That means we don't get to just talk about how nice and welcoming God is. We have to go be all nice and welcoming ourselves if we are going to take Jesus seriously. We are called to care and take action when a black church in the U.S. falls victim to hate crime. And when the Roman Catholic Church in France suffers a loss as historic as Notre Dame. And when a church in South Africa collapses and when churches in Sri Lanka are attacked viciously on Easter Sunday morning. We are called to care and take action. And this also means actively seeking out peace and reconciliation with one another on individual levels. Not just those people we only have little beefs with that we suppose we can let it go. Not just the people we're going to be stuck with whether we make nice or not, like our family and our coworkers and our neighbors. Not just the people who live in our community or in our country or even on our side of the planet. Everyone, all the people, individuals and groups or communities of people. Is there a group or a type of people that make you uncomfortable? That is exactly who we are being told to go seek peace with here. Are you nursing a grudge against someone? Peter says, you have got to go sort that stuff out because we don't get to choose who God does and doesn't bring into the family or how God brings people in. Peter is saying that this isn't about choosing sides based on how we do or don't do things. This is about how we are to be in relationship and community with others, even when we disagree or struggle to understand one another. Jesus came to earth, died, and rose again to reconcile us to God, to one another, and even to ourselves. And we can't have reconciliation without being involved with other people. Reconciliation is how we live out resurrection lives. It's one of the ways that we participate in the resurrection of Jesus. It's relationships that are dead or dying being healed and restored. Our relationship with God is sick from sin, and yet, in Jesus, that relationship is healed. It's restored. It's resurrected. Our relationships with one another are dead or dying because of the ways we hurt one another. And yet, in Jesus, those relationships can be healed and restored. They can be resurrected. 
And this is great news. Resurrection life is not something to be kept quiet. We're not just supposed to make nice with those who look and act and worship just like us. We're supposed to go the extra step and tell everyone about this crazy loving everybody mission that we have been given by God. We should not keep resurrection to ourselves. It's a celebration for all people. Jesus says to the woman at the tomb, go, stop being so sad and gloomy. Go tell people about this. The world needs to know that there is more than hardship and sin and death. Go to those who don't look or act or live like you and tell them this good news. Our black brothers and sisters in the South need to know that we believe with them that hate does not get to win. Our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters need to know that they do not mourn alone for the loss of the great cathedral. Our South African and Sri Lankan sisters and brothers need to know that we stand in solidarity with them in telling the world that death is not the final word. The world needs to know that there is a love so great it overshadows everything else. The world needs to know that there is new life. There is resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead so that we can live new, resurrected lives. He lives so that we can fully live in peace and reconciliation with God, with ourselves, and with all other people around us. And that is something we have to work at, to actively participate in and model for others and care about. That participation happens both inside and outside of the church walls, sometimes even more outside than inside. That's nice, Pastor, you might be thinking. I love your optimism, but that just isn't how the world works. And you would be right. That just isn't how the world works. At least not in the broken, sinful, dead way that the world tends to work. But because of Jesus' resurrection, this broken, sinful, dead old world can be made new. And we can see glimpses of that if we look in the right places. When we look for the places that God's people are purposely living out resurrection lives. Many of you, probably most of you at this point, uh, know that myself and two elders from here in St. Andrews just spent two weeks in Rwanda with the Presbyterian Peacemaking Program. If you haven't heard about that yet, I'm not sure how you have avoided Tom and I for so long. <laughs> I'd like to share with you just one of the stories of resurrection that we experienced there. Rwanda is another place where division and hate caused some terrible things and in which the church suffered greatly. No part of that country escaped the trauma of the 1994 genocide, but some places were more violently hit than others. In one such village, in the hills outside of the capital city of Kigali, there is an incredible thing happening. During the genocide, neighbors turned against neighbors. In some cases, family turned against family. Church members turned against fellow church members. Members of that village lost husbands, wives, children, parents, siblings, and friends, all to violent murder. 
And as we know well, in western Pennsylvania, in a small town or village, everyone knows everyone. And so after the genocide, as perpetrators were tried, served their sentences or reparations for their crimes, and went home, they found themselves living among the friends and family of those they had harmed or killed in 1994, and everyone knew exactly who had done what to whom. Those who survived the genocide found their families attackers and murderers moving back into their village. Rwanda is a tiny country, there's not a lot of places to go, and most people there do not have the means to simply pack up and move to another part of the country. And so perpetrators and survivors found themselves living side by side every day. The local church could see only one reasonable Christ-like solution to this problem, reconciliation. And we're not just talking about tolerating sitting in the same sanctuary together or occasionally eating a cross-cultural meal together. We're talking about survivors of the genocide and perpetrators of the genocide sitting side by side, talking in raw, real ways about what happened, getting to know one another, asking for and granting forgiveness, and rebuilding the fellowship of their community, one person at a time. They call the group that gets together with this purpose the Light Group. It's a simple name. And they call it that because they are bringing the light of Jesus, the peace and reconciliation of the resurrection into the community so that the love of God might be known to all people. They gather regularly. They worship together. They eat together. They run a craft co-op together. They do community life together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the craziest thing. Can you imagine purposely sitting down with a person who had taken a loved one away from you and seeking peace and reconciliation with them, like on purpose? But that is what real victory over sin and death looks like in the here and now. That's what it means to say sin does not get the final say. It's sitting down with anyone and everyone, those we like and those we don't. Even sitting down with those who have hurt us deeply, either as individuals or communities, and figuring out how to not just live together, but to thrive and to celebrate together. And so today we are called to rise up like Mary did that first Easter morning. Rise up like Peter did to go to dinner with people who were called unclean. Seek out those who are new or different or those who have hurt us and to celebrate the love of God with them. To find ways to love and mourn with black churches in the U.S. or the Roman Catholic Church in France or the Pentecostal Church in South Africa or multiple churches in Sri Lanka. That is what living the Easter story looks like. It's only sort of about where we go when we die. I'm sure heaven's going to be great and I'll see my dead cat again and eat as much French onion dip as I want without worrying about what my nutritionist has to say. But the resurrection story is at least as much about where we are supposed to go while we're living, or rather who we go to 
It's about how we rise up from dead lives of disconnect, disconnect from God, from other people, even from ourselves, and seek out meaningful connections. That is what this is about. That is what we celebrate so joyously here this morning with our family and our friends. What a blessed opportunity we have to declare today that we can all live lives full of restoration, reconciliation, hope, and healing. Lives of resurrection because of the resurrection of the one who laid it all on the line for us. Amen.